Lord, thank you so much for who you are. Thank you for being present with us and for bringing us together this morning. God, I ask that you would visit us and that you would draw near and that we could experience you in a way that's real and that's real for us. God, I just ask for everyone here that you would talk to each one of us in a way that we can hear you, in a way that we can understand you. I ask that you just bless our time together and that you'd reveal more of yourself to us today and throughout this Advent season. We pray for all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So today's the first Sunday of Advent. Um, the church calendar has two cycles of three seasons, so six seasons total. Um, in Christmas time, there's Advent that goes on for four weeks, and then Christmas, and then Epiphany. And then we go back to ordinary time, which I always think is hilarious, ordinary time. And then um, over Easter, it actually starts with Lent, and then Easter, and then um, uh, Pentecost. I can't believe I just spaced the word Pentecost. Um, bad pastor. Uh, so Advent is to Christmas the same that Lent is to Easter. It's a time of preparation that we look forward to a high holiday, either Jesus' birth or Jesus' death and resurrection. And I think as a, in terms of like a time to prepare, there are some things that we really get right in our culture about Advent and some things that I think we get spectacularly wrong. So um, I think the getting ready for Christmas is something that is perfectly in line with the idea of Advent. You're buying presents, maybe making a budget and, and, and checking your list twice like Santa and you're wrapping presents and you're planning things and you're doing maybe some baking and um, we just turn our hearts toward what's coming in the future. The thing that I think that we kind of miss a little bit about Advent is the early church actually took this time to fast and to pray. And I think in America especially, we take this time to like party a lot. So it's a little bit different. Like it doesn't feel like Lent. You know, maybe you've had an experience during Lent where you give something up, but we don't often talk about giving things up during Advent. So that's just kind of like an interesting thing um, about the seasons. When we're, as we talk about Advent for the next four weeks, um, I'm reminded of these books that I read as a little girl. We had a couple of them. They were like, you know, cardboard books with lots of illustrations. So I was very young, not, a, not like a reader yet. Um, and I remember there was, they were all like based on an animal. There was like a fox's story and the sheep's story and a couple other animal stories. And the animal would tell a Bible story, but from an animal's perspective which is really kind of interesting and like super cute. If you've got little kids, like all oh, the fox's story and the fox, I think the fox witnessed Jesus' miracle of turning water into wine. And so the fox like is talking like a fox about like, oh, they're, they're having some kind of a celebration, all of these people. And then there was this man and he wasn't dressed like he was an important man, but he did something and everybody was really happy. And, you know, and it was all very like... Um, kind of brought down to my level as like a four or a five-year-old, you know, because at four, you don't really, maybe don't understand the significance of wine or the status of a wedding or why that would be important, why Jesus would get involved in Cana um, at this celebration. But having the fox tell the story as a little kid, I found I could really identify like me and this small woodland creature, like wondering about what's going on in this story. And um, this isn't actually that unusual from the Gospels. We see this same kind of thing happening in uh, the story, all the stories around Jesus' birth. We have these, this cast of supporting characters who I think can help us understand what's really important or what's interesting about the time of Jesus' birth. And the reason why is because 
you know, all of that happened 2,000 years ago. It's pretty removed from us. On the other side of the world, very different culture. Not a whole lot of my, like, day-to-day -day life looks like Mary and Joseph's day-to-day -day life. You know, like, I don't know that they've ever been on a, well, I guess I do know that they've never been on a Zoom call. <laughs> and, um, you know, like, I, I, like, the presents that I'm getting for my kids, like, we don't do frankincense and myrrh and certainly no gold. And, um, you know, it's just like there's a lot of things that are foreign about this story because I'm just so divided by time. And when we have some of these other characters, and we'll talk about them today, it'll be Simeon and Anna, and we'll talk a little bit about Zechariah and Elizabeth and Mary and Joseph. I think they can help us to understand these events, what's really important and unusual to them, because it's set in their time, like they, you know, like this is, there's like normal life for them, and then they can see what's special. And so we're going to take some time over the next weeks to um, kind of look at the story of Jesus' birth through their eyes so that we can understand what's really important about what's going on. So Simeon and Anna show up after Jesus' birth. So we're going to zip a little bit ahead in this first week of Advent. Um, we're going to go to Luke 2, um, verses 21 to 38. And so let's just read this together. It's a little bit long, so we'll zip through. On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise the child, this is Jesus after his birth, he was named Jesus, and the name, uh, the, name the angels had given him before he was conceived. When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it, uh, as it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. I didn't sacrifice any doves or pigeons when my children were born. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon, and he was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he saw the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts when the parents brought the child Jesus to do for him what, custom, uh, what the custom of the law required. Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel, and to be a sign that will be spoken against, so that, those, uh, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your own soul, too. There was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Penuel, one of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage, and was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple, but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. So Simeon and Anna have this role in this story. It's really interesting. They're kind of like us, right? They're spectators. They've been waiting for some time uh, uh, to see Jesus. And Simeon knows ahead of time that he's going to see the Messiah. 
Um, and then the Holy Spirit tells him kind of like in that moment, like, oh, he's here. And so Simeon goes and he finds Jesus and he holds him in his arms and he blesses him and he blesses Mary. And the words that he shares, you know, I really feel like, boy, this is the real deal because it's not just like happy stuff, right? Like it's not just like, oh, what a beautiful baby you have. Like the rise and fall of many in Israel will be marked by your child and you will be spoken against and a sword will pierce your soul, he says to Mary, which if we know the whole story of what happens, like who, what mother more than Mary has had a sword pierced her soul as she stood and saw her son die for the sake of the world. And so then Anna, we, ha- we see her, she's this widow, and she's been alive for 84 years, which is very, very old then. You know, like these days, getting to 84, maybe many of us in this room might expect to live to 84, but back in Jesus' time, this is like very unusual that a woman would live so long. And she's fasting and praying, and she recognizes Jesus for who she is, and she gets excited about it and shares with everybody who will listen to her speak. So Simeon and Anna show us how to hope. And they do this in two ways. The first is they were engaged with the world around them. In the message version of the Bible, um, the, this was kind of like a translation, it's a little more of a paraphrase, but it really gets it into our language for us. It says of Simeon that he lived in prayerful expectancy of help for Israel. I think he was burdened for his people. He was burdened for the nation that he was a part of. And if you think about the world that he lived in, you know, the Jewish people at this time are being oppressed by the Romans. And they don't have the same rights. They don't have the ability to travel as freely. And, you know, they have kind of this, like, puppet government people are put in charge of them. But clearly the Romans are calling all of the shots. And they just don't have the kind of freedom that the, the children of God might expect or hope for. And then we have Anna. And I just think about this, like, 84 years. What had she seen in 84 years? What has she experienced in her long life? Um, in, in terms of seeing the world around her. I think as a woman in a largely patriarchal society, she probably experienced some hardship. Um, I'm actually like not so familiar with my history about the time before Jesus was born that I could say, oh, she would have seen this or that event. And I thought about looking it up, but I actually think it might be more helpful for us to think about what somebody who's 84 years old today might have experienced. So if you were 84 today, that means that you were born in 1937. And I think there are a lot of things that you might have seen in the world that would make you feel like you needed a source of hope. 1937, so that would have been right before World War II. Someone who's 84 would have lived during the time of the Holocaust and um, like Hitler and the Nazis. Um, They would have lived through a lot of wars in the United States, the Vietnam War and the Korean War. And they would have lived through 9-11 and um, the war in Afghanistan and then Iraq. But not just wars, they would have lived through just huge social upheaval, you know, the civil rights movement, which brought a lot of good things, but of course was necessitated by a lot of bad things. And then we're seeing that still echoed through as we're still getting some things sorted out about how civil rights are um, uh, practiced in this country, aren't we? And um, they would have seen, uh, you know, like big court cases like Roe v. Wade, which I think is a, a challenging part for our nation of like how... How do we let women be free and in control of their own bodies, but then also like the tragedy that comes with having legalized abortion and just like the pain and the, the, the hurt that can occur even for women who have to make that desperate choice for themselves. Um, I think in the last uh, 87 years, 84 years, there's just been a whole lot of darkness that one has witnessed. 
we've had a whole lot of technology that allows us to see more clearly around the world and more deeply into the challenges faced by others and the suffering faced by others. As I think about Anna's experience of um, being so old and having lived through so much, I find myself unsurprised that she's living in the temple and she's praying and she's fasting every day. She has a lot of things that she needs to hope for. I think all of us have a lot of things that we need to hope for. From the start of Advent, I think, you know, we get through Thanksgiving and maybe you had some time with family or maybe you didn't have time with family depending on how your family is handling the pandemic or just other things that are going on, right? Like sometimes we just can't get together and be with the people that we love. Or sometimes we can get together and be with the people we love, but those relationships are challenging. We both care about each other, but we disagree about some big things. And I think that all of these can be reminders of us that we, we need to hope. We have a lot to hope for. We're not there yet. We don't have the, the world as we would have it. It's not all sunshine and butterflies. Things aren't perfect yet. And I think Simeon and Anna understood this. They yearned for Messiah, the Messiah to come. In the message, it puts just a little more um, clarity, I think, around uh, Simeon talking about his desire to see God's light revealed to the Gentiles, which I think is really powerful because as a Jewish man in this time, the Gentiles would have been the Romans who were oppressing his people. And his desire for God to be revealed to them, I think, shows a wisdom and a generosity of spirit that only can come from a lot of hope. The other thing that Simeon and Anna do is that they're engaged with God. They're praying and fasting. Simeon is in, uh, lives in prayerful expectancy. He's also obedient. He's moved by the Spirit, and he responds to that. Um, Anna is sharing about Jesus with all who will listen. She meets this baby. Um, Jesus makes a couple of friends, and, um, and she wants to tell everyone about him right away. Just the way that these two have oriented their lives around what God is doing, I think, is the source for their hope. And they need both, you know. They needed to hope because of their engagement with the world, and they were empowered to hope by God. And don't we find ourselves in the same position? So when, um, when we do need a balance like that, sometimes in the vineyard we talk about this as the now and the not yet. So um, when we say the now and the not yet, I guess we kind of, we kind of assume everybody understands we're talking about the kingdom of God. So the kingdom of God is like God's perfect rule and reign in the world. So Eden before Adam and Eve sinned was the kingdom of God. It's God getting his way. It's everything set to rights. It's the world as God would intend. And sometimes we experience the kingdom of God now. Sometimes, um, you know, we're blessed with a, a baby who's born healthy and happy, or we're blessed with uh, financial provision or peace in our relationships or a really great job, or just like things that it's like, man, this is how life is supposed to be, you know? I always imagine like anytime I've just been sitting around laughing with friends and like you laugh until you cry, I always feel like that's the kingdom of God. You know, when I'm just with people who they see me and they know me and they get me and I see them and know them and get them and we share that together, that's like kingdom of God is here. When Jesus is um, his 30 years from this story, when he's walking around doing ministry, he talks about the kingdom of God. He gives us all kinds of analogies to understand it and different aspects of the kingdom of God. But something that he says is sometimes he'll say the kingdom of God is coming or he'll say the kingdom of God has been delayed. 
And that's the not yet of the kingdom. And these are all the times when things aren't going the way that they should. And I think we've probably all experienced those too. Certainly we see them like in our broad society, you know, like a pandemic is the kingdom of God is not yet. We do not yet have this like peaceful existence of health and harmony for everyone in the world. But we also experience the not yet in a really personal way, you know, like when you have a conflict with a friend or a loved one or when things just aren't going right at work or when they're not going right with your with your friends, your family, your kids, you have kind of a challenge or my favorite, when you make a mistake and you just have like relive it again and again, like why did I say that stupid thing? Why did I do that stupid thing? Like this is the kingdom not yet. So the kingdom of God is both now and not yet. We kind of exist in this paradox. And when we need these kind of balance, you know, between I need to hope and I need God to empower me to hope, you know, we can fall off of either side of that horse, right? Like we can engage with the world and we can get to forgetting about or ignoring God. Or sometimes we can just engage with God and kind of hide from the world, right? And I think both of these are things that can kind of mess up hope for us. Because when we focus on the world, but we ignore God, I think that's when we start to experience a lot of anxiety or overwhelm or maybe even depression. And I think I feel like I've seen people go through this where they get really involved in a cause and, um, you know, from a place of, of just like such goodness and passion, you know, like I want to see a problem in the world fixed. And when we go into those without the support of God behind us, without regularly communing with God and being healed by God, when we experience the hurt, when we have compassion and we share in the hurt of others to try to fix that, you know, doing that without regularly coming close to God, it can result in just us getting totally overwhelmed and burned out. Maybe you've experienced that. I know I've experienced that. Um, I especially think of like my young teenage self, you know, like it's like I, I, I was like the first person to discover that there were some things amiss with our world. I was one of those kind of teenagers. I'd like watch a documentary and now my whole life is about whatever the documentary was about and then, you know, <laughs> give it two weeks and oh, Kara's eating meat again, but you know, there for a minute. Um, <laughs> here's buying regular clothes again instead of, you know, whatever. But, you know, like we can do that where we get like really, like we can get really into a cause and understand like, wow, something's really wrong with the world and I need to fix it. And I think when we try to do that in our own strength, it can be really debilitating over time. And we can get disillusioned even with ourselves and like, can, does it even matter? Can I even make a difference? I don't know. And, you know, we can actually end up in like a more hopeless place than we did before we started. And so that's why we need God to empower our hope. God breathes life into our hope. God sustains our hope. And ultimately, God is the one who fulfills our hope. And when we come up against these problems, and I think some of them do kind of come to the forefront during the Christmas season, right? Like Salvation Army is out there, and we're reminded that some people don't have a warm place to stay, or they're having a difficult time keeping their home, or they're having a difficult time putting food on their table, or getting warm coats onto their kids. And as we help with those things, you know, they're also like a little more visible to us. I think cold weather makes the need in our own community just a little more visible to us. And I think it's so important that we stay close to God in those times so that we can go the distance, so that we can have that staying power to continue to engage with the world and continue to address the ills of the world and be a force for good and partner with God in the good work that he's doing um, but like in a way that is sustainable for us where we're still being cared for. The opposite of this can happen too. 
when we devote ourselves to God but ignore our communities, cities, and the world, this makes us hypocrites, and it makes the church irrelevant. And I think that's something that we kind of see, like cycles of that happen through history, too. And maybe you've experienced that, um, you know, being concerned about a practical need for people in our community and talking to someone of faith about it and, and them kind of saying, you know, like, you just need to pray about this and... Um, yeah, that's it. I don't know. <laughs> you know, and they kind of back away, maybe even protect themselves. I think sometimes as followers of Jesus, there can be this temptation to say, I just want to focus on God, and I don't want to get hurt by the world anymore. I don't want to engage with the world's complexity and problems because maybe I don't even know what the right answers are. And there's a lot of, like, polarization, like, politically, we've got this huge divide in our country, and sometimes I think we just want to step back and say, never mind, I just don't want to be a part of that. I'm just going to pray. I'm just going to be okay over here by myself. I don't know what the answer is, and I'm not going to worry about it. And I think that when the church does that, we can come across as, as selfish and as callous. And I think we lose one of the main ways that Jesus wants to share just the light of who he is with the world, which is by addressing those practical needs and by getting into complexity and, and big problems with people who are suffering. So we really need both. We need to have hope because sometimes our world is very dark. And we need to be empowered to hope by a God who doesn't shy away from complexity and is bigger than even our biggest problems. So how can we engage with the world around us? As we get ready for these next four weeks as we're getting ready for Christmas, I think that there are a lot of wonderful opportunities that we have to um, meet practical needs in our community. Um, sharing, giving, giving to charity, that kind of stuff. Um, certainly, like, Salvation Army, they've gotten so good now. Like, you can scan the thing now, or you can, like, text to give money. You ever, there, was like a, there was, like, a moment in history there where it was like, oh, no, you want change, and I pay everything with cards, and I want to give, but I don't have any spare change. Like, and so, like, there for a minute, I was like, should I pay with cash, but I have extra? So I can, what do I do? Like, how do I give to Salvation Army? Because, like, I always saw my mom, you know, like, put the coins in, or she'd let me, you know, and as a kid, like, put the coins in, the bell ringers and stuff, and I never have any spare change. But now you can scan with your phone and, like, give them, you know, your 50 cents or your, you know, 250 or whatever, um, or you can text. So I think, like, as we have those opportunities to give, we should make use of those, um, supporting particularly the charitable efforts in our city as um, so many are working to meet practical needs of the people that we live close to. But it's not just that, right? Like, that's, this is a big part of Christmas, but there's another opportunity with Christmas to engage with the world, and that's, like, in our own private worlds with the people that we really love and care about. And this is where confession and apology and forgiveness, now during Advent, can really set us up for a really wonderful Christmas season when maybe we do get to get together with family and um, celebrate the holiday together. I think that this is something that God is he's putting it on my heart. Maybe, maybe I'm the only one that has a little bit of peace to make, but I think there might be some time. I've got a neighbor I need to apologize to, you guys. Oh, her dog got out. I was so rude. Um, so I'll, the next week I'm going to tell you all about how I apologize to my neighbor because that'll be that'll hold me accountable. Um, but I think that kind of like, you know, we have this excuse during the Christmas season to show affection in a way that might seem weird the rest of the time. Like, you can give a gift, and you can give a hug, and you can, like, catch your, you know, your kid under the mistletoe, and you give him a big smooch on the cheek, 
And we can just, like, put our love on display for others during Christmas. In a way, I feel like we kind of get, like, this, like, special ticket in where, like, I can look at you and I can say, I love you. I'm so glad that you're here. Thank you for coming to my party. Thank you for being yourself. Thank you for being at church today. Like, I think we have those opportunities. Um, Some people still do Christmas cards, and you can just leave Christmas cards. I'm bad at Christmas cards, but I think, like, um, I've got an aunt who, in her Christmas cards, she never just signs it. She always, like, writes some kind of a memory or something about me that she really likes about me, and it's always so warm and wonderful. I think social media gives us a chance to just lavish our love on the people that we care about. And these kinds of things, I think this is a way that we can engage with the world around us during Advent that does prepare our hearts to um, celebrate Jesus again, and also just like helps us be a part of preparing the world to receive the goodness of God. And then I think last we want to talk about how can we engage with God during this busy season. And I think kind of like the bridge of both of these two is fasting and praying. I know it's strange to say, hey, let's fast in December because like the Christmas cookies and candies are out. (laughs) Like the snacks are abundant. If you're like, if your family is like my family, like my mother-in-law, it's just going to be like one big charcuterie board for like 28 days straight. So, um, like, fasting during Advent might seem like a, like a strange idea. But I think there are ways that we can say, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a meal, maybe a breakfast or a lunch, because, like, you know, breakfast and lunch, and maybe skip it and take the time that you would normally spend preparing food, eating food, cleaning up food, to um, pray for some of the darkness in our world to go away. Pray for God to intervene, maybe in the life of a loved one who's, got some, um, some problems or like a little bit of chaos, maybe to intervene in like a big problem, like God, there are hungry children all over the world and you have to do something about it because we can't, I can't fix this one by myself. But those kinds of engagement, like I know it's not the most popular thing in December, like there's not like a Charlie Brown Christmas special about like skip a meal and take time to pray or wake up a little earlier and take time to intercede. But these things during Christmas time, I think, can really enrich the season for us and can really help us to experience God in um, a really profound way. Um, and then, of course, like other ways to engage with God. Um, there's, I'm reminded of you know, a, a blog post that I read that was talking about Jesus, um, the night he was born, Mary and Joseph, you know, like kind of goes back to the, like there was no room at the inn. That was the thing they were really focusing on. There's no room at the inn. And the author of the blog said, you know, let's just imagine if my heart is the inn or if my heart is like the bustling town of Bethlehem, you know, like, would I notice if Jesus' mother, like, came riding in needing a place to stay so that she could take care of her family and give birth to her son? Or have I, like, packed my schedule so full, like my Google calendar and and my and my budget and my morning routine and my Christmas preparations, have I just got all of that, like, so chock full that like I might not even notice Mary and maybe there's no room you know in my inn like in in my heart and I just thought that was such an interesting way to put it because I I I can identify with a lot I'm an imaginative person I can identify with a lot of people in the story you know like I'm like oh what was it like for Mary and what was it like for Joseph what was it like for Simeon and what was it like for Anna and I can even imagine animals you know because like I've been in little kid pageants and like I've been the sheep and I've been the angel but I've never had anybody ask me to, like, are you the inn? <laughs> you know, or, like, identify with the inn. But, like, how can we make room for God this season 
in a way that we can really experience all the wonderful things that Jesus has for us. And I think God wants to talk to us about that. I don't think there's a one-size-fits-all. I don't even have, like, really practical tips. I just think, like, being open to hearing from God that way and, you know, coming with expectancy at church. I love what April said during worship today. And expecting to receive from God and just, like, making some room to experience him and to receive from him. I don't know if anybody does this tradition with their kids. I've never pulled it off because I'm just not organized enough as a mom, but where you give away, um, you know, like give away toys to thrift stores before Christmas or before a birthday. You kind of got to make space for some of the new presents, and it's a really great way to help your kid make the connection of like, I don't need to just accumulate, you know, in like a always up and to the right, like I can, I can give some stuff and you know, as I know that I'm going to receive some stuff and like getting that balance between those two things. And I think that there are some things that God maybe wants us to give away. I think there are two categories in this. I think one is giving away our love and affection to others. Not that we ever get so full of these things that, like, we don't have room, but I just think that, like, making the connection between, like, I give my love and my affection, I give presents, I give baked goods, I give holiday cheer, and I receive those things from God kind of in the same way. And then I think another one and um, I just can't get through the sermon without referencing Bill's song that he wrote called Make Room for Hope. I think one of the ways that we can make room for hope, oh, that's a good song. One of the ways that we can make room for hope is we can give away some of the things that maybe we've been holding on to for a while that we're, we're scared to let go of, or maybe we're scared, like we're not sure if it's okay for us to let go of. And in this I'm talking about like our self-condemnation. I'm talking like our guilt and our shame and the things that maybe we um, we just think like maybe we just God just wants me to feel bad about this for a while longer. So I don't know if I really I'll receive God's forgiveness and you know I'll go to heaven and all that stuff. But like but this thing that I did was really bad and I'm just gonna keep feeling bad about that. I think that's something that God wants to do this morning for us is to help us let go of that kind of stuff and make some room for the wonderful things that he wants to do. Have you ever done something you found it really difficult to get forgiven of? Like it was really hard to like receive the forgiveness from the other person? When I was a little kid, uh, and this will be my last story, um, I did this horrible thing to my sister. I, um, I like forged a note, like a I love you kind of a note from her crush. And um, it in the mailbox and so she got it and she thought oh, that this guy I, I'm like will this be online Matt Wells is his name Matt Wells thought that like he had a crush on her and um and it got out of hand very quickly because I did not confess right away and why did I even do like why do, why do we do this stuff like I don't know why we did. I don't even remember like was I mad at her like what did I think was going to happen and I talked to one of her friends about it, and her friend said, oh, you have to tell her before school starts. This is in the summer. You have to tell her before school starts, or she'll humiliate herself. And, um, and so I, like, I wrote in my journal about the whole thing that happened, and then I gave it to my sister, and I said, you need to read this. And um, she read it, and she reasonably got very, very upset. And uh, like it was a tough rest of the summer for us. We had a hard time getting along after that, which I think is reasonable. Um, but, you know, she kind of moved on, like, within, like, a couple of weeks. She kind of got over it and moved on. 
And um, I kept feeling bad. I was in the third grade at the time, and I was, like, still feeling bad about this, like, well into my teenage years of just, like, this cruel thing that I did to my sister. I couldn't understand why I did it. I couldn't understand my motive. And I just, I just felt so bad, you know? And I remember we talked about it one time. We were, like, both in high school. Actually, she was in college, so I would have been, like, a junior in high school. And I said, man, I just still really feel so bad about that. And you know what she said? She said, wait, what happened? Like, she didn't remember it. <laughs> it was, like, this, like, life-changing, like, thing in my life. Like, it, like, it, like, put my life on this path of, like, I'm such a dark, evil person. Why did I do this thing to my sister that I love? And she, like, didn't even remember that it had happened. I mean, like, 10 years had passed, so maybe that's reasonable. But it was just the sort of thing that, like, I was, like, holding myself in jail because I was so concerned about the effect on her. And, um, and, and I, I retold her the story, and she said, think I remember something about that. She's like, here we were kids. Like, I forgive you. You know, she was like just like very casual. It doesn't seem to cost her very much at that time. And um and it was such a wonderful freeing. Like I remember I cried and cried. Like it was such a freeing thing to know that this thing that I had built up in my mind as like, man, this is just this is it. Like this is who I am. I'm just an evil person forever. And she's like my victim forever you know like like this is just like changed the course of her life and everything is set in stone and just to discover that it wasn't that way at all and I think that Christmas can be a good time for us to reevaluate and just give God a chance to point out some of those things that are going on in our hearts ways that maybe we're holding ourselves in contempt or we're kind of putting ourselves in jail and um, I just think that really for for hope for today I think our message from God is just I think he wants us to, like, be brave enough to ask him if we can get forgiven of that, too, and if we could let go of that, too, and if he could set those things to rights for us, too. Like, I know that God can handle, you know, this thing and X and Y and Z, but, but what about this one? Like, I just don't know. I think it takes a lot of courage to bring those things to God, and, um, and I think that's the thing that he wants us to do. So, would you stand? We're going to have prayer time today. All of this has been pre-game. The moment has come where um, we want to really talk to God about what's going on. So the band is going to come. They're going to play another song. And kind of the way that we do prayer here is if you'd like prayer, if you could come and stand in the front or like up front on the sides. And somebody who's been trained to pray and be like not too weird, but like still, you know, attentive. Um, they come and they do all the work. You just have to come up and stand and say, oh, I wronged my sister when I was in the third grade. And then they will go to God for you and pray out loud. They'll put their hand on your shoulder and ask God to talk you through all of that and see what God wants to do. And I really think that God wants to shake some things loose for us and set us up for a really beautiful Christmas season where we can experience him in a really close way. If you want prayer for anything else, it doesn't just have to be um, wrongs you committed as a child. Um, but if, if there's anything that came up, if you just feel not so hopeful, if the world seems really dark getting ready for Advent, anything at all, please come up and get prayer, and we'll sing one more song. So let's just pray as we go into that.